If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Raj Sundar, a family physician and a community organizer. You're listening to Healthcare for Humans, the show dedicated to educating you on how to care for culturally diverse communities so you can be a better healer. This is about everything that you wish you knew to really care for the person in front of you, not just a body system. Let's learn together. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Healthcare for Humans. This is the second keynote featured in our podcast from the North American Refugee Conference. In today's episode, we're bringing you the journey of Boban Stojanovic, a Serbian-Canadian peace and LGBTQ plus human activist. Imagine being ranked among the top five LGBTQ activists in your own country, a voice for equality and love, but then death threats force you to flee your homeland in search of safety. That's where Boban's journey begins. Even after finding safety in Canadian soil, the challenges didn't stop for him. He faced a diagnosis of melanoma and the heart-wrenching experience of processing his father's suicide. Despite all of this, his story is a story of hope rather than despair. Amidst the darkness, he talks about how he found healing in the form of poetry and therapy. As you listen to his story, you'll notice that the details aren't always laid out in a straight line. They sometimes don't follow a conventional chronological order. It's a reminder that stories, especially those of resilience and survival, aren't bound by time. They're fluid, adaptable, and can be shared in a way that resonates with the storyteller's emotions in the moment. This lesson goes beyond our podcast too. As clinicians and healthcare professionals, we often interact with patients and others who have suffered on their way to being refugees, who have left their homes and attempted to find safety elsewhere. Their experiences aren't confined to a specific time frame because everything seems uncertain and trauma can manifest suddenly, quickly, and unpredictably. Thanks for taking this time to listen and thank you for becoming a better listener and witness to the stories people carry. Here's Mubban. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I came from a small country called Serbia, somewhere in the Eastern Europe. My life there was quite successful. I was CEO of few nonprofit organizations. I did much for human rights and reconciliations back in Balkans. I was published author and public figure. I was first openly LGBT person in Big Brother in the whole region. And I was constantly in the media. And being among very few openly LGBT people, people in my country, sometimes I was on serious political talk shows. 
And another time I was in more entertaining one, answering funny questions. For you gay guys, who is the most handsome football player? And I had some other small and interesting achievements. For example, I spoke at Roma Pride in Italy in the front of half a million people. I was Pride Marshal, International Pride Marshal in Montreal in 2014. It was so interesting because on that day, Pride Parade, I had fancy car, I had my own driver. And also I was listed as one of f- top five LGBTQ plus activists only a year ago in 2015. And this morning I found myself at this conference sharing my refugee story. I entered Canada as a visitor. I sought asylum and I got it. And I got it because I had almost a thousand pages of evidence to prove persecution from back home. Only between 2015 and 2016, I got more than 250 death threats. My apartment was attacked two times by neo-Nazi groups. I was attacked so many times and I I was verbally provoked almost on a daily basis. Due to the safety reasons, I had to change apartments every time we organized Pride Parade back in Belgrade, its capital of Serbia. And just to give you an illustration, for example, in 2010, we tried to organize Pride. There was only around 1,000 participants, Pride participants, and we faced 6,000 hooligans who tried to attack us. The Serbian government often banned Pride Parade because of safety reasons, and they clearly said, we can't protect you. Someone created an online video game on some website. You can play this game, and this game was about shooting me in the head. So we tried to do something. Public persecutor back home said there was no reason to worry. This was just for fun. In August 2016, the year when I moved here to Canada, I was attacked in the middle of the day at the city center. After escaping, and calling the police, I spent the rest of the day in police station. As a victim of brutal violence that day, I had three interviews with three different police officers. In the following days, I was to recognize attackers. And when I did it, they told me, pictures are blurred and we can't identify them. And trust me, images were so clear, the one for ID. Even more, I got warning from high state officials in my country to cut my tongue. Expression, if we want to say, you have to shut up, be quiet, don't speak, so I have to shut up. Or they will publish stories in a ruling party controlled tabloids and they will ruin my life completely. Because I felt unsafe in my own apartment, and at that time I lived in rented one with my partner, I decided to sell my apartment, but someone broke into it and um, started to live there. So even today, I don't know what's what's going on. And if you ask me why all this happened to me, everything happened because I didn't want to be loyal to the government whose members were involved in the war crimes committed in the name of Serbian people during the 1990s, particularly in Bosnia and Kosovo. And my critical political engagement because an issue at the government, and the government wanted to show itself as pro-democratic, so I always remind them, no, you're not. You're war criminals. I don't want to accept your intentions to be good and pro-democratic. Over time, my life became Netflix drama, and I had no choice but to move somewhere else. And if there is season two of this drama, you will learn more about my working-class family, 
my alcoholic and abusive father. You will learn about bullying experience in the school. You will learn about my grandmother, who was like was devastated under communist regime. You will learn about my mother, who was victim of domestic and sexual violence most of her life. And of course, you will learn about my extended family, who disowned me. Some of them, they hate me because I'm gay. And another part of my family, the more friendly one, they had hate the fact that my partner was of Muslim origin. At that point of my life, I just became overwhelmed. And along with my partner, we applied for a Canadian visa. Many other asylum seekers, we left everything behind. Using some small savings, we bought tickets. By chance, I reached out to a person from my country who lives here, and they said, okay, you can come and I will rent a room for you for a very affordable price. Once we were here, we spent all the money so quickly. And I remember first time we went to supermarket here. As many other newcomers and refugees, especially in the beginning, we will try to convert Canadian dollars or US dollars or whenever we are into our money. And after I saw how a bottle of shampoo cost here, I just out from the store and I and he literally puked in the front of the store because I got sense, oh my God, we'll spend all this money so quickly and there is no another solution. Luckily, after a few months, our refugee claim was approved and my partner and I became convention refugees. And we had no money and we were still waiting for work permit. We made a deal with our friend. So instead of paying rent, we will clean her house and we will manage her Airbnb account. So unexpectedly, I became a room service professional with no pay. However, our friend asked for more and more support in the house, and it was really hard for us to manage that. It became a very uncomfortable situation. Getting my work permit, I was so lucky to find my first job as LGBTQ plus settlement practitioner at the Center for Newcomers. I got my first part-time salary. We found an apartment we can afford, and we moved. And in the night before we moved, our friend gets so angry, so she threw all our stuff in the garden. So we had a very interesting night party, garden party, collecting our things all over the place. After a while, after we moved to our apartment, for a while everything seems to be okay. We started our new life being careful about every single cent because we had only one part-time salary. It was my salary and my partner was full-time English student at the date time. Luckily, after a few months, I got full-time position. My partner got a job too, and we were able to afford second pair of shoes, and other fancy things, non-stick pen from winners, similar things. So it was wow kind of life. Honestly, life get better until I learned that my mom was in hospital. I reached out to my friend back home and she's a nurse, and I asked her if I could do something to support my mom. And it was really interesting because she said, no, don't even offer your support. If doctors learn you're in Canada, they will ask for more and more, but they will never give any medication to your mother. And this is very typical answer from Balkan countries, as corruption in these kind of countries, including my country, is very high. Then, unfortunately, a few weeks later, my mom died. I was not able to travel because I had no passport, I had no travel document, so I had to stay here. 
After that, my father got completely lost. And after 40 days, he hit the train and died by suicide. The rest of my extended family blamed me for everything. And even more, they sold the house that we had, they took all the money, a little collection of family jewelry, and they took even family photos. So I have no memory of my parents and anything from my childhood. And this part was particularly painful. Over time, I accept everything and I said, it's life and life can be complicated. After a while, things got back to normal. One day, I saw very nice Gucci friend. And I said, let's get new glasses. I have good benefits, so they will cover all the costs. And I was in the store and they said, first, you have to, to check up your eyes. And I did it in the store. And exam took a little bit longer than usual. And then because I was still in this honeymoon stage of my integration here in Canada, I was, oh my God, it has to take all this time because I am in Canada. They have all this fancy equipment, so they will check everything precisely. But the stand of that, optometrists refer me to specialists. So a few days after, I find myself in one of Calgary hospitals here. They did a lot of exams of my eyes. And after that, I meet with doctor, his team, and I was diagnosed with ocular melanoma, its type of cancer. I was super lucky to have one of the best doctors for eye melanoma in the world. After I came home, I checked everything online and I was, oh my God, he's really a star in his field. So I have a duty to become superstar patient. And I accept it was very traumatic because I was so scared I lost my eye. And I really my eyes, to be honest. And I accept everything as art performed. I was so disciplined. I follow all suggestions. I follow everything properly. And I was too much into it. So after I waking up after my first surgery, I had patch on my eye. And two nurses were there and they will come back and all that kind of sweet things after. And I just told them, I'm Lady Gaga now. Let's sing bad romance. And we did it. So I was there lying in the bed with two nurses and we sung Kissing Bad Romance. And after that, I found in my file, they put rock star patient and they draw a little star. And I had another surgery only a week after. And then I took six weeks off from work. And du during this time, I think a lot about my life in a very poetic way. I try to understand what my cancer wants to tell me what I don't want to see anymore. Or for example, about my father. I moved my focus from his suicide and I thought, what was the last thing he saw? Daisy, little blue bird, I don't know. I asked myself, did he felt gentle wind on his face before he hit the train? That was my way to survive. And then in the beginning of 2020, of course, COVID happened. I was supposed to work from home. And somewhere at the end of 2020, we got an opportunity to purchase our condo and we did it. One morning, I was there alone because my partner worked for Starbucks, so he was in the store. And I was in my sofa staring at unopened boxes. And a few minutes after, I realized I couldn't. I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't pretend 
everything was okay. And I asked myself at that point, is it okay to be weak? Is it okay to cry? Is it okay to be fragile? Is it okay to feel bad? Is it okay to lament over my life? And something in my mind said, no, this is just a moment in time and you need support. And for the first time in my life, I reached for mental health support. I found a therapist and first time we met online. And after a short conversation, she told me, trauma, you experienced and you went through so much trauma. And next nine months, I was fully dedicated to my recovery. I went through EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. I learned a lot about my trauma. I learned a lot about my parents. And I was able to embrace everything I went through. I understand how unique and rich my life is. I knew I was worth living. I have much to offer to my partner, colleagues, friends, clients. And I don't know how I get there, but I was thinking I was blessed in my life to meet many refugees. My first volunteer engagement back home was in one of refugee camps in my country. And among them, I met the most vulnerable children, women, victims of gender-based and sexual violence, victims of torture, LGBTQ plus refugees, political refugees, human rights defenders. And from all of them, to be honest, including myself too, I learned a lot about resiliency. And if you allow me, I want to share three things that I learned. First one is some kind of little wisdom, a simple one. Life can be better, but life can be worse. And we refugees, we know that, right? <laughs> we were there. We were in the place to see our beloved ones losing their homes, careers, losing their lives. But how I think about this, if we are still here, we must acknowledge our strength and resilience and our ability to find a ray of light in our darkest times. The second thing I learned is to say yes to what it is. If you're a refugee, this sentence completely describes your life. Maybe you never thought about uh, yourself in this way, perhaps because you rely on God, spirituality, traditional values, teachings, wisdom, philosophy, science, whatever. But it's always it is what it is. And I sincerely believe, because I heard this from so many refugees, I sincerely believe refugees bring an enormous amount of love and gratitude whenever they move. And the third thing I learned is to value my story and to celebrate my transformation. As a newcomer to Western society, I found Western society very fragile. It just says that living in something we used to call the first world doesn't make people more resilient. Many refugees of all backgrounds, people who lost everything, doctors stuck in grocery stores or mothers who saw their kids suffering in refugee camps, and people who were humiliated and tortured, we are still here. We work, we contribute, we give back to community. All these people, they have enormous capacity to adapt and transform their lives. And this is the thing all other people can learn from us, and this is the treasure we bring to our new communities. And this is why I'm here, and this is why you are here these days, to share and to listen to all these stories. And in the end, I want to share one more thing with you. 
related to like personal transformation of my trauma. I learned a lot about trauma after going through my journey with my therapist. And after a while, I realized I don't have a traumatic event themselves, but I have problem with particular images related to my traumas. And for example, I already mentioned my obsession with getting what was the last thing that my father saw before he hit the train. And one night we went to Montreal just for city break and I was in a room. It was quite comfortable bed. I was lying there and I wrote a poem and I named this poem to my father four years later. I wrote in my first language, of course, I posted on Facebook, I go to bed, I slept, and next morning I checked my Facebook account and I saw hundreds of likes and shares and my inbox was full of messages. So people really identify with my words. In a few days after, I wrote another poem. A few days after, another poem, another poem, and another poem. And I went through all these traumatic images and I tried to get rid of them and to transform them to something else, in my case, poems. And you know what? Less than a month ago, back home, I published my first book of poetry, and in three weeks, the first edition is already sold out. Title is, This Should Have Been Our Living Room. And I tried to bring my ideas of how my life supposed to be, but it's not that. And very last thing from me this morning is, look our indigenous survivors. Look at many refugees and immigrants who start their lives from scratch. If you're a refugee, look at you. If you're not a refugee, look at someone next to you. And you will see, this world is not at bad. This world is full of love and understanding. And we, refugees, we are the most significant proof of it. My mission is complete if my story gained at least one heart in this room. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. So I'm left after listening to Boban's keynote with four lessons that he articulates. Acknowledge that life's journey encompasses both highs and lows. Or as he says, life can be better, life can be worse. The wisdom in saying yes to life's circumstances, no matter what it is. And the empowerment in celebrating your story and the transformation that you've gone through. And lastly, a recognition that our world, despite its challenges, is abundant in love and understanding. I know some of you are hearing all this, and it feels overly hopeful because it seems to gloss over the pain of the harsh realities in our world especially with the last few keynotes that you've heard. For me though, the key message is that amidst the very real struggles that all of us face, there's room for hope, healing, and transformation. Holding on to hope like this isn't a denial of the challenges we face, but rather a source of strength that keeps us moving forward. It's by holding on to this duality, the acknowledgement of life's hardships alongside the potential for growth, that allows us to navigate the complexities of caring for people who have suffered through tremendous trauma. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of Healthcare for Humans. Check out healthcareforhumans.org and share this podcast with one other person. And lastly, thank you to the podcast brilliant co-producers Tessa Chu and Maha Razaki. 
for helping set the vision and direction for the podcast and making sure this listening experience is great for you. See you next time. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the participants past, current, or future employers unless explicitly expressed as so. Always seek advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with regards to your own personal questions about what medical conditions you may be experiencing. This Healthcare for Humans project is based on Duwamish land and makes a regular commitment to real rent Duwamish. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.